Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Hello, this is Pastor Mark A. Stroud, and I thank you so much for joining me for another broadcast right here on Kingdom Rock Radio. Well, today I've got a very special treat for you. We had Sharon Sewell. She is a dynamic teacher of the Word of God, and she is speaking from the subject of understanding the blood covenant. Oh my Lord, understanding the blood covenant. Every born again believer needs to hear and understand that you have a covenant with God. And the word covenant means agreement. I'm telling you, it's something that is written in the blood of Jesus that God will not turn away from. This is awesome. And this is an awesome message, a three-part series that you have to hear. So share it with a neighbor, share it with a friend. They've got to know about their covenant rights in Christ. So let's start off this series. Here is part number one. So check it out. Now let's begin by looking at the traditional steps that were involved in creating a blood covenant. There's a ceremony involved. And so I want you to show you what is involved just in the ceremony. First thing they would do, number one, there would be an exchange of coats or an exchange of robes. And that symbolized the putting on of one another. It symbolized an exchange of character. It is one taking on the likeness of the other person. So they would exchange coats or robes to say, I'm putting on you, you're putting on me. So they would exchange coats. Number two, they exchanged belts, or the Bible calls it a girdle. The girdle was a belt. It was a waistband that they would wrap around their waist. And that exchange symbolized the fact that as covenant partners, they would compensate for one another's weaknesses. Um, in other words, when they exchanged belts or exchanged girdles, they exchanged strength. I would give you my strength, you would give me yours. We would exchange strength. Number three, they would exchange weapons. Now the weapon, the, the sword usually was kept in the girdle or in the belt, but they would exchange weapons and this symbolized that they were exchanging enemies. Your enemies would become my enemies, my enemies would become your enemies. So they would exchange and so all that they had uh, they held in common even their enemies. And number four, they took what it was called the walk into death. An animal was split in half down its back and the two pieces of the animal were laid on the ground opposite each other. And the individuals would walk in a figure eight. Now imagine for a minute that that this animal, the sacrificial animal is right here and there's a piece here and a piece here and blood is pooled all around it. So when you take the walk into death, they would walk in a figure eight all around those two pieces of sacrificial animal. And as they were walking, they would say, the Lord do so to me and more if I break this covenant. So that says what? The covenant is to break the covenant is punishable by death. So it signified that they were dying to their rights and independent living. It signified the fact that they were 
totally involved in the relationship. So they took the walk into death, number four. Number five, they cut their own flesh. They cut their own flesh. They would stand opposite one another and make a cut on their palms or on their wrists, and then they would intermingle their blood to signify that they had a shared life, that they had become one. And then they would exchange blessings. Number six, they exchanged blessings. Each would give the other an account of his possessions and all of the resources, and they would place those possessions and resources at the disposal of the covenant partner. In other words, this is what I've got in my checking account. It's available to you. Okay? This is what you've got in your checking account. It's available to me. So they would exchange resources. And they could use them as needed, but they also shared debts and liabilities. So your debt would become my debt. My debt would become your debt. So they exchanged blessings. Number seven, they sealed the covenant cut. They sealed the covenant cut. That means that they would do something to cause that cut to make a scar. Uh, I've read some places they would put charcoal in it, something to make it, you know, have some color. But they would put some substance in the wound so that it would be a permanent scar and be a constant reminder of the fact that they're committed to a covenant partner, committed to one another. And then number eight, they exchanged names. They exchanged names. In addition to his own name, he would take the name of the covenant partner. So if I had a covenant partner, if Mark were my covenant partner, then I would be Sharon Mark, and Mark would be Mark Sharon. Okay, We'd, we would exchange names. There would be an exchange of names. And then number nine, they had a covenant meal. They had a covenant meal. And at this meal, they would take bread, break it, and place it in the mouth of the covenant partner with the words, you are eating me. And then a cup of wine was offered with the words, this is my blood, you are drinking me. Now, if they were Jews, they didn't drink blood, right? Because God had said, don't put that stuff in your mouth, don't drink it. And so the Jews would use uh, some kind of substitute for blood, probably wine, something like that. And so they would, uh, but if they were not Jews and some of the other cultures that would do blood covenanting, they would actually mingle some drops of blood in the wine and drink it to become one with it. And so, but the Jews would use a substitute. But they had a covenant meal in which case they would pledge to becoming one by eating and drinking one another. Now, at the end of the ceremony, the primary participants participants are called friends. Friends. And this new relationship has been informed, has been formed that is a covenant relationship. Now this new 
relationship is governed by an attitude. And this attitude is called loving kindness. Loving kindness. That is a beautiful word. It would be fun to just do a study of all of the places in Scripture that that word is used. But whenever you see that phrase in Scripture, loving kindness, it is a covenant word. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is hesed, H-E-S-E-D. That is a fun word to camp out in and study, hesed, hesed. The Greek word is agape, agape, the love that God has for us. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about it as loving kindness. It is, it is the attitude that God has for his children loving kindness. So this is a love relationship that covenant partners enter into together that basically says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So it's kind of like a contract signed in blood. It's a union. And in covenant, you're no longer concerned only with yourself. Now your concern includes your blood covenant brother or sister. The word covenant is used approximately 250 times in Scripture. The Old Testament word for covenant is the Hebrew word berith, B-E-R-I-T-H, berith. That word in the Hebrew has to do with cutting. So sometimes when you study covenant, when you study blood covenant, it talks about cutting covenant. They don't say I'm going to make a covenant. They say we're going to cut covenant. I'm going to cut covenant. You make a covenant by cutting to make blood flow. So that's why it's called cutting the covenant. The New Testament word for covenant is the Greek word diatheke. D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. And it means a contract or, get this one, a testament. A testament. The Word of God is divided into the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Testament or the New Covenant. So all of the Bible is a covenant that God has given and has established to have with his people. Now, we've outlined a general process of the way a covenant was cut. We've gone through those stages. And now I want to show you something in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So let's just play with this for a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 18. When we get to this chapter in Scripture, David has slain Goliath. And he has been taken into the household of King Saul. Remember that King Saul was Jonathan's father. So remember those names, David, King Saul, and Jonathan. All right? Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, let's begin by reading verses 1 through 4. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him 
as himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Watch verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now watch verse 4. And Jonathan did what? Stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his weapon, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, although this is all the record, all the biblical record we have of the ceremonial acts of the covenant that was cut between Jonathan and David, these were characteristic covenant procedures that imply that they took all the other steps as well. We went through about 10 steps. And so the only record we have here is of three, but it's like if I said um, I went to a wedding, then you would know all of the things that were implied as a part of being at a wedding. So when they tell us they did these three things, it is implied that they did all the rest of them as well. So Jonathan and David have cut covenant, but it's recorded here that they exchanged robes. That meant that they put on one another's character. They exchanged girdles, or this says armor. That, that represents strength. They, they exchanged strength, and they were going to compensate for one another's weaknesses. And they exchanged weapons, indicating that they exchanged enemies. Now, you will recall that Israel had made a plea for a human king to rule over them. They didn't want God to rule over them because what? They wanted to be like everybody else. And so they kept on, and finally Saul was named their king. David became one of Saul's men of war, and he was so successful that Saul was afraid of him. And Saul became jealous. If you want to read about that, you can read about it on down there in um, chapter 18. Verse 12 says, Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. All right? So Saul then determined that he would put David to death. Now remember that a covenant relationship superseded all other relationships. Poor Jonathan. Jonathan and David are what? Covenant partners. And Jonathan's father is wanting to do what? Kill his covenant partner. So what is Jonathan going to do? Turn to 1 Samuel 19. And later, when you get home, you can read 1819 on through about chapter 23 to get all of it. We're just going to lift some things out here, all right? But let's go and see what Jonathan's going to do. What will he do in this difficult circumstance? 1 Samuel chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. 
Now, therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I shall tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. But there's more. Verse 8. When there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter so that they fled before him. Now, there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the harp with his hand. And Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear. Changed his mind. So that he stuck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Skip to chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. I can't pronounce all these names, but I'm going to pretend like I can. I don't know if it's right, but we're going to say something, all right? Then David fled from Naioth and Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Yet David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight, and he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there's hardly a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. So David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I ought to sit down to eat with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it is the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. 
If he says, it is good, your servant shall be safe. But if he is angry, know that he has decided on evil. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself, for why then should you bring me to your father? Now, David is fully aware of Saul's intent to kill him. David entreated Jonathan to remember the covenant. It's like, don't forget, Jonathan. We've got a covenant here. And David and Jonathan both are apprehensive. Jonathan knows that the Lord's hand is on David. He knows it. Will David remember the covenant when he becomes king? We'll look. Jonathan reassures David, but he has some concern about his own descendants. So look down in verse 12 there. <clears throat> so they've got a plan for how Jonathan's going to give a message to David. But then Jonathan thinks of something else. Okay, when David becomes king, what's going to happen to my family? Now watch them include their families in the covenant. Chapter 20, verse 12. Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if there's a good feeling toward David, shall I not then send you, send to you and make it known to you? If it please my father to do you no harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also. Remember that? May the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not make it known to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And if I am still alive, will you not show me the, watch the word, what? Loving kindness. Will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? And you shall not cut off your loving kindness, your covenant, your loving kindness from my house forever. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. With the house of David saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. And Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Now, what's happened here? Jonathan asked for an additional covenant. So now there's a covenant between the house of David and the house of Jonathan. The covenant between their two houses being confirmed, Jonathan helped David devise a plan of escape if Saul should attempt to kill him. Now, go down to verse 18 in the same chapter, 1 Samuel 20, beginning in verse 18. 
This is the account of that plan. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. When you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day, and you shall remain by the stone of easel. And I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And behold, I will send the lad saying, Go find the arrows. If I specifically say to the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of you, get them, then come, for there is safety for you and no harm as the Lord lives. But if I say to the youth, Behold, the arrows are beyond you, go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me. How long? forever. So David hid in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. And the king sat on his seat as usual, the seat by the wall. And then Jonathan rose up and Abner sat down by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought, it is an accident. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. And it came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why is the son of Jesse not come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. For he said, Please let me go, since our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to attend. And now, if I have found favor in your sight, please let me get away that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he's not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you or your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. But Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he put to death, be put to death? What's he done? And Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David, and a little lad was with him. And he said to his lad, Run, find the arrows which I am about to shoot. And the lad was running. He shot an arrow past him. And when the lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the lad, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. And Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master. But the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew about the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go, bring them to the city. Now, especially watch these two verses. When the lad was gone, 
David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed each other and wept together, but David more. And Jonathan said to David, Go in safety inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he arose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. So David and Jonathan both now have the assurance that regardless of what the future held, the covenant would stand. Saul continued to pursue David. You can read about that in chapters 21, 22, and 23. But finally, in chapter 24, there's a record of a confrontation between David and Saul. When the opportunity to kill Saul came, you remember Saul was in a cave, David was hiding in there, and he had the opportunity to kill Saul. Instead of killing Saul, what did he do? He cut a, cut a piece of fabric off of his robe, his coat. So why did David not kill Saul? Two reasons. Number one, David knew that Saul was the Lord's anointed. And number two, Saul was Jonathan's father. And they had a covenant between the house of David and the house of Jonathan. Okay? Now, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1. In 2 Samuel 1, and a Malachite brings news of the death of Saul and Jonathan to David. Watch it. 2 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, that David remained two days in Ziklag. And it happened on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And it came about when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. Then David said to him, From where did you come? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did things go? Please tell me. And he said, the people have fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. Ugh. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man who told him said, by chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen pursued him closely. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I said, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? And I said, I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me, Please stand beside me and kill me, for agony has seized me because my life still lingers in me. 
So I stood beside him and killed him because I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown which was on his head and the bracelet which was on his arm, and I've brought them here to you. David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And so also did all the men who were with him, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I'm the son of an alien, an Amalekite. David said to him, How is it that you were not afraid to stretch out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? David called one of the young men and said, Go cut him down. And so he struck him and he died. David said to him, Your blood is on your head, for your mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Perhaps the Amalekite messenger didn't understand that Saul was David's king before he was his enemy. David recognized that God put the leader in his place. David lamented and mourned and fasted for Saul and for Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel. Now, further reading on into 2 Samuel reveals that David became king of Judah. You can read all of that. Saul had one living son. His name was Ishbosheth. And he became king of Israel. David was king of Judah. Ishbosheth was king of Israel. Chapter 4 of 2 Samuel. Chapter 4, and I'll begin in verse 5. So the sons of Rimon, the Berethite, Rechab and Bana departed and came to the house of Ishbosheth in the heat of the day while he was taking his midday rest. And they came to the middle of the house as if to get wheat, and they struck him in the belly, and Rechab and Bana, his brother, escaped. Now when they came into the house, as he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and killed him and beheaded him, and they took his head and traveled by way of the Arabah all night. Then they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, Ooh. who sought your life. Thus the Lord has given my Lord the king vengeance this day on Saul and his descendants. Mm. And David answered Rechab and Bani, his brother, sons of Rimon and the Berethite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress, when one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him in Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much worse 
when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not require his blood from your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded the young men, and they killed them, cut off their heads and hands and feet, and hung them up beside the pool of Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the grave of Abner in Hebron. Who was Ishbosheth? Jonathan's brother. Let me ask you is David being faithful to the covenant? Now remember, remember, remember his covenant with Jonathan. Now, one more thing. It's here in chapter 4. Back up a verse or two. 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. One verse for right here. 2 Samuel 4, 4. Now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a crippled, had a, I'm sorry, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now, not knowing that a covenant had been cut between David and Jonathan, Mephibosheth, who was a prince, lived like a pauper. He lived in fear, and the servants had all assumed that David would destroy Mephibosheth. Turn to chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9. beginning in verse 1. Then David said, watch the words, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both his feet. Now rumor had it that David despised the lame and the blind. Did he? There was just, there was a rumor though. So the king, King David said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you, hesed, 
I will show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant you should regard a dead dog like me? The king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Mephibosheth didn't know what David's reaction was going to be. So fear swept over him as he limped into the presence of the king of David, to King David. But compassion and loving kindness, say that word, loving kindness, flowed from the throne of David. Mephibosheth referred to himself as a dead dog. That meant he felt, saw himself as a worthless, embarrassing piece of garbage. David said no. Now think for a minute, why did David do it? Because he was in the Lord's blood covenant with Jonathan, and they had made a covenant that says, no matter what happens to you, I will look after your house. And he did. He was not that piece of garbage to King David. He was Jonathan's seed. And I want to plant that word in your mind for next week. Jonathan's seed. Next week, we're going to see how we have that same blood covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God entered into a blood covenant with Abraham and his seed. And we are Abraham's seed if we have the faith that Abraham had. And where was Abraham's faith? It was in God. Okay? So next week, we're going to get to see how we fit into this as the seed of Abraham. And so let me just tell you, this gets exciting. It gets exciting.
forward to the same time we pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Remember, if you would like to hear today's message in its entirety or hear the entire series, just go to our website at www.kingdomrock.org. That's kingdomrock.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast and get it on the go. And if you have a Roku device, make sure you search for Kingdom Rock TV. In there, you will find this program and so much more. We would also love to see you in a live service. Just go to our website to get the details at www.kingdomrock.org. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way.